Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday, and um, I'm going to try to get into Haftorah here. I'll have time uh, to get the Israel group. Uh, today's Haftorah sponsorship, I'm happy to say, is also being sponsored, like yesterday, by the Raidens in honor of Zev's parents. And uh, happy that we got someone who wants to sponsor uh, Haftorah as well. As long as there are people interested, I'll try to do it. Otherwise, forget it. Now, um, today's Haftorah is... Uh, from the enigmatic book of Malachi, you know. Um, whew, this is a very unknown work. Malachi is what, you know, Chagas Chaim Malachi, we don't know exactly what's going on, but it seems to be that we're talking about Bayashani period at the beginning. They always talk about Chagas Chaim Malachi as part of the Anshe Gans the last three of the prophets. Now, why is it stuck over here in this week's Haftarah? Because it says, I hate Esau. So since this week's Parsha is talking about Yaakov and Esau, and um, you're not exactly sure what the end of the story is. Well, let's put it this way. Long, long ago when people didn't know the Chumash so well and they would read the Parsha of, uh, you know, Toldos, and you see Yaakov run off and what happened to Esau. And so the prophet Malachi, who lives at a time when, um, let's put it this way, when um, the beginning of Baishani period, so uh, Edom is basically gone. This is just an interesting thing. I mentioned in a Zoom the other day. Whatever happened to the Edomites? You know what I mean? You and I know that the ancient Near East in the biblical time had Canaan, uh, Amun, Moab, Edom, Aram, Midian, Amalek, whatever, all these different groups that you see mentioned here and there. And then you don't hear about them later on. So whatever happened to Edom? The Edom used to inhabit the territory, what we would call today Southern Jordan, the area below the, the Dead Sea, the northern, the, the Negev, that kind of area is generally understood the Benedom, Harseir. Uh, as you know, tourists today, I think, still go to Petra. I never wanted to go, but a lot of people do, which is on the other side of Jordan. Petra is Greek for rock. Rock is Sela, which was the capital of Edom. Uh, but by the time you get to our hero today, to Malachi, the, the prophet, um, and you know, in the Gemara, they're always speculating, who is this Malachi person? Who is he, you know? Uh, is it Ezra? Is it Mordechai? Is it this one? Is it Nehemiah? Is it, it's very unclear, right? Very unclear. But what seems to be clear is he's talking about the beginning by Shani period, and that's significant for us for a number of reasons. So first of all, Adam seems to be gone, and therefore it's the verdict of history. You understand? Uh, the prophet says, tanu, was wiped out. It's Sanesi, <laughs> right? And Harv Midbar. So Asab is gone. So basically, this is a Jewish argument that heading uh, you know, Judaism is right and the others are gone. They're gone. They're wiped out. You know, it's history and survival is often um, a proof of the validity of one viewpoint or the other. Now, from a logical perspective, it's not. You know, as you were talking about it's pure the, the language of, of reason and logic, it could be that the truth was wiped out. But if you believe in a God who runs the world and the God is fair, then it stands to reason 
that the group that is, uh, you know, adhering to truth will not be exterminated. But Aesop seems to be exterminated. Now, this is the historical Aesop. We're not talking about Aesop as Rome, you know, which was a different guise. And in Echanami, when Jews in the Middle Ages, and even in the ancient times, read the prophecies of Malachi, you talk about Edom being wiped out. I mean, they saw it like a prediction of the fall of Rome, you know. And in Echanami, if you go to Rome today, I mean, it's built up after Rome and Empire fell, but the old stuff is still the ruins, you know, the the, the, the old buildings. But if you're talking about the Middle Eastern Aesop, so whatever happened to them? Whatever happened to Amma and Moab, Midian, and so forth? The answer is they're gone. I don't know if they're physically exterminated, but in terms of identity, they lost their identity by being blended into others. Maybe they were killed out, maybe not, who knows? It is true that um, in the Second Temple era, as far as I am myself are aware, there is references to Idumians, Edomites, inhabiting the area more or less of Beersheba and that area, much smaller, uh, which is just interesting. And in a weird way, the Idumians, the Edomites, according to Josephus anyway, were conquered by the Hashmonoim, Hanukkah is coming up. As you know, Hanukkah represents, among other things, the rise of the Jewish state in the Second Temple period. All the rest of the time of Bayashani, the Jews were a province of some other group. They were ruled by the Persians, and then by the Greeks, the Macedonians, and so forth, and later by the Romans, as I think we all know. And for a short period of time, there was a Jewish state, an independent Jewish state, as a result of the Maccabees, and their successors, the Hashmanim. Hashmanim simply is the sons of the Maccabees. And one of the things, now, you know, we don't know that much about, uh, you know, the period of Hashmanim, and most of what we know in terms of details is not from the Gemara, but rather from the Miguel Tinus and mainly from Josephus. And he talks about the fact that um, in the time of John Hercules, Yochan Kongoro, the, the Jews conquered, he says this, not the Gemara, the Jews conquered um, the Edomians and forcibly converted them to Judaism, which was not a good idea. We have no record of this in rabbinical literature as far as I'm aware. And this came home to bite us because Hordus, Herod, became the king of the Jews eventually. He was an Ed- Edomite. And he was messed over the Jews. He was like the Joseph Stalin of the Jews. Notice he wasn't really Jewish. So Edom reappears in that kind of form. And, and then they got their vengeance because if you follow the history closely, it's, a little, it's very complicated. But uh, the Edomians and the, and the Herodian types took down the Second Temple. I mean, that's what happened. Okay, It's too complicated to explain. So, you know, they kind of got revenge on us. But Edom is gone. And so the prophet is saying, uh, at the beginning of Aishini, he says, listen, you had Yaakov and Esau, and Esau was gone. So that means Yaakov was right. Okay? Yaakov was right. If that's true, then God likes you. If God likes you, why do you act so bad to God? Because that's really what the book of Malachi is about. It's a short, safer. And it's mainly a, one big Musa schmooze. Okay? And uh, what's interesting, I would say, is two or three points that he uh, brings out, the Prophet Malachi, which is a short book. You could read it in five minutes. Get it English, Malachi, go online. It won't take you more than five minutes to read the whole saver, three, three chapters. And uh, only we only have a, a, the, the first half of the book is uh, Haftorah today, chapter one and a half. You know, first chapter and, the, and the half of the second chapter. When I say chapters, I mean, the Jews didn't have chapters. That's a Christian thing they brought in later on, but we still use them for convenience sake. And what's interesting is that although it's brought in 
because of the Yaakov and Esau thing, that's why it's there. But that's not the whole of Torah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if they wanted to just do that, you just have the first couple of Sukkim. You know? Um, I'll destroy them. And uh, and that's more or less it. So the whole of Torah could be four Sukkim. And that would be the connection you might say the dynamo of, of the Yaakov and Esau story. But it's a lot longer than that. And so he adds on other things that the prophet Malachi is blasting the people. Because when he says that Hashem says, I loved Yaakov and hated Esau, it's in the way of a plaint. Since I, God says, since I was nice to you, why you bade to me? I was nice to you, you bade to me. I let you survive and flourish, and Esau wiped out. Now, what is the main thing he's talking about over here? What I would talk about would be the Quality versus quantity. That's how I understand it. It's very, very fascinating Haftorah. Uh, Nevi'im, quality versus quantity. There was a second temple period. There was a Baishin that was built in his time, obviously. Um, there's a Gemara that says that Malachi, you know, told you can do Carbonus before the base of built, but I'm not getting into that. There's a Baishin period. Uh, there were plenty of screw-ups and mess-ups in the attempt to set up the second Jewish commonwealth in the Baishin. That's described in detail in Ezra, Nehemiah, and places like that. Chagai. Uh, the Kohanim were no good. The people were no good. The base of Mishra was not treated right. And what he's basically complaining about is, to use modern terminology, talking in shul. Um, what's our big problem today? Now, this is funny, because the corona is a, lot, a lot less of it. What's the big problem that every rabbi in the world is worried about? It's talking in shul. And what do they say? Oh, it's a chil Hashem. And why do they say it's a Hashem? Oh, the, the prophet says like this. Something like here. The prophet is blessing the Jewish people, and he's like this. If you go to a church, if you go to a Geisha temple, it's very quiet. They take everything seriously, um, and they're respectful. You go to a Jewish temple, based on Migdash, it's talking in Shul. Uh, or if it wasn't exactly the problem of talking, it was a problem that they offer lousy carbonas because they're very Jewish. You know, if everybody had um, a broken an animal with a broken limb or something like that, so that's what your lousiest animal is what you get for a carbon. Because the guy figures like this, listen, it's all being burned up anyway, and so I'm taking a loss in pocket, so the good animals I'll keep for myself, this is what the Navi talks about. And the bad ones I'll give to Hashem. It's a big insult. And so, as I said before, the quantity is there. People do bring... Um, sacrifices to the temple, but uh, it's bad quality. And this is basically the kind in all the Muslims farm in general when people are about their avodah Hashem. In other words, the guy said, I guess, what do you want for my life? I wake up early, I go to show. A lot of people don't. All that is, is 100% true. So what do you care if I dive in lousy? You know, I put on filling. What do you care if I don't do it right? I keep Shabbos. What do you care if I don't do it right? And all the Muslim books and the books of Hasidus, right? I mean that in the large sense and in the more narrow sense. Always talk about the fact, uh, including Mazilzi Sharm, the fact it's not enough to do the mitzvah, there has to be a quality of the mitzvah. You have to have the quality of the mitzvah. In the old days, it was very simple. The, the weren't, we're, we're talking about the good old days before davening existed and before brachas existed. So what was Judaism once upon a time? It's hard for us to wrap our heads around this because, as I say before, in the, the, the institutions of Judaism that you and I are familiar with as essential, such as uh, Gomorrah, didn't exist. Uh, synagogue, 
didn't exist. A sitter didn't exist. You see what I'm saying? Uh, actually, a Torah Shabbat didn't exist except for the Chumash. Uh, Malachi is reputed to be in the generation that changed all that. And he introduced a much greater degree of formality into Judaism. Uh, for example, I'm going by the Rambam now, at the beginning of Hulos They introduced the sitter in some form. Right? If you go by Shri Ergon, they began the process of, uh, I'll use this in dumbed-down language, they began the process of writing down the Gemara, the Mishnah, and all that. I mean, the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. Right? And so on and so forth. Uh, why did they do this? Obviously, the old system wasn't working. The old system wasn't working. So theoretically, there shouldn't need to be davening. Again, I'm going by the Rambam. It should be that everybody on his own, at least once a day, talks to God, like Breslov, you know what I mean? So you wake up in the morning, you say, yes, thank you for giving me my health, and uh, I have a pain in my knee, so maybe you can get rid of that, and I need some serious money over here, you know, help me out to win the heart of this girl. At least it's real, you understand? That was the davening once upon a time. According to the Rambam, you have to daven every day, but in your own words, there's no chakras min chamar, you say whatever you want, whenever you want it, but you should do it. But the problem is people didn't do it. You see? So notice the old system broke down. Same thing with the carbonus. You see from the book of Malachi, the old system was breaking down. Because the Torah sets up a system, uh, you see from our half Torah today, in which you have a holy priest, Sipsikon Yishmudas, Termavakish Mepil, woo! You have a holy coin, you walk into the Mishkan, the base of Mish, it's a Kadusha Tahara. You offer a carbonus, you feel like you're carbon, you're coming close to Hashem. You know, uh, it's a spiritual experience. But it degenerated. By the time you get to Malachi, he's saying, you know, it's a zoo. You know, the Komi's no good. Half of the book of Malachi is blasting the Kohanim for being no good. And then uh, you have uh, people bringing all these uh, lousy animals for carbonus. So basically, they're, there's upkapatrit, you know. I'm giving a carbon and get off my back. And it got to, it got to get very angry. What am I, uh... Uh, a, a little uh, deity somewhere over there. The Goyim don't do that. If they offer a carbon to me, now you ask me a question. The Goyim believe in God? I've said this before. If you know the pagan religions, contrary to what people think, it wasn't a matter of worshipping a stick or a stone. They did worship a stick and a stone as part of a greater entity. You understand? If somebody says, I'm worshipping now the God of night and tomorrow the God of day, they kind of had a unclear but very fixed idea that there's some grand god beyond that. The Gemara even says Eloha de Lohaya. You know, they they knew this idea, but as is suggested in the Rambam and elsewhere, that's beyond beyond. It's like if I start talking you Kabbalah talk, you talk about the Ain Sof and all the reasons. I can't relate to that, which is true. But nevertheless, to the degree that they did relate to it, they did it with awe. And here comes a Jew bringing in, like I say, the worst uh, sheep he has in the flock. Um, after all, the base of Migdash is nothing special. And I'm up to you know, uh, my wife had a baby, therefore I'm bringing some kind of a thanks offering, but I want to save some money in the pocket. And uh, he gets very angry. Famous line often quoted in the Gemara. Would you offer this up to your governor? You know, uh, um, that time is under the Persians. And so, if you let's put it this way. If you bring something to kiss up to some high official, you bribe them, you want to get in the good side. You know, like I say, you kiss up to them. You bring something nice. Would you bring something junky? Then it has the opposite effect. Suppose I need a favor from the governor. This is how life was lived once upon a time, my friends. So I need a favor from the governor, from the general, for something like that. So I come, 
I say, listen, I'm doing a favor, and by the way, I'm bringing you a present, and so on and so forth. You want the present wrapped up nicely. Suppose you bring them something junky. The governor get angry at you. He'll chop your head off or punish you. He'll have the reverse effect from what you wanted. But he said, when it comes to God, it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> if you gave it to a human being, you know, a president, a king, a governor, something like that, would they take it? So how come you, you offer it to Hashem? So this is all the idea wrapped up that quality of the Avod accounts and watch out for Chil Hashem's. Watch out for Chil Hashem's. These are the two big themes in the Parsha today, uh, in the Torah, which of course are timeless because, uh, you know, this is a problem we have and it'll never go away. It's existential. It's, it's, it's part of the problem. What's fascinating to me is that Malachi and Chagas Chai Malachi are associated in Jewish lore with Don Shekhetzegdola and the reform of Judaism, I said before, and the introduction of new institutions and greater formality. So it's the davening, it's Sinod uh, the Siddur, it's the canonization of the scriptures, the Torah Shevik Sav, the Yanshikasegdola, which is nothing but the basin that included Chagas, Chai, Malach, Ezra, Chemi, Mordechai, and these other people, again, going by Jewish tradition. Uh, they created. Uh, or at least it began the process of creation, it's a complicated subject, the canonized Old Testament that we have, Ternavim Exubim, the 24 books. Uh, so Malachi is part of the group that makes the book of Malachi, <laughs> if you follow. And it wasn't a very big book, was it? So no, this must be what they considered the important stuff. So they introduced a greater formality into the idea of Torah Shabbat because obviously a lot of phony stuff was floating around, and who knows what it said in there. They began the process of the formalization of Torah Shabbat so again, to use dumbed-down language, if you're interested, read the Shurigon. I told you that the art school came out with my thing not long ago. Just take the trouble to read Shurigon. You'll see the very, excuse me, very slow evolution of uh, the Torah Shabbat from a strictly, totally Torah Shabbat to the end, a whole series of texts. Okay? And Malachi is part of this. Uh, what else does he do? Calendar things. A lot of formalization, which means that whereas... The old Judaism worked for a thousand years, you know, from, let's say, Moshe Rabbeinu down to Ezra, roughly. Uh, it no longer seems to work. And these people, who were the Gedoli Yisrael, Malachi was a Navi, I might remind you, and Chagas Zechari and some of these other people also, and people like Ezra, <coughs> to the highest stature, they can reform the religion. They know they knew what they're doing. And uh, all Judaism, you and I understand, goes back to these people down till today. Uh, but, uh, just like the parish of the week is almost always relevant because it's relevant in current terms. So the Torah is usually, I would say 95% of the time relevant because anybody who has a bad davening is hakrivena lepechasecha. You see? Anybody who has a, a, in America, anybody who doesn't spend a decent amount of money, if they can, on a, on a mitzvah, whereas you spend plenty of money on junk, uh, that's hakrivena lepechasecha. You understand? Somebody say like this, for a sukkah, I don't want to spend too much money. But to get my living room fixed, or the new den, or something like that, or uh, some new game box, or whatever they call it, that I'll spend the money on. That's exactly what ticks off Malachi. For your stuff, you 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 know, the sky's the limit. For for Yiddishkeit, for God, let's put it better, uh, there's a budget. <laughs> there's a budget. That shows you there's something wrong, meaning that shows you the HR is actually in charge of your Yiddishkeit. HR is in charge of Yiddishkeit. Which is just very interesting, Okay. And um, that'll never go away, because that's just part of Yitzhar, as, as we all know, okay? As we all know. Now, 
the the as they say in the Middle East, the fish stinks from the top, from the head, and so he's blaming the Kohanim, right? And uh, you know, basically, you have the following problem: the Jewish religion is set up as a temple ritual, as you know, as I said before, the cultic aspect in the classic sense of the word cult, not in the modern sense. The temple aspect is dominant in Judaism, in biblical Judaism. It's all about Besamegish, Karbonus, Tomataira, Kachem, and so forth. And uh, therefore, a great deal of responsibility is placed on the shoulders of the Kohen. And it's supposed to be that you come to Besamegish and you have an experience. And you're transformed. You understand? And you come way blown away. Uh, that'd be nice if it happens. And when Aharon was there, like he says, when you have a real uh, you know, Kohen, or, you know, the right kind of thing, uh, you know, Torah's Amos Befihu, as he says in Aftorah, Avlo Nimsu Besvasav, Besholm, Misha Halachiti Rabim Heishim Avon, when you have a Kohen who's the type of person who can be Makarev people, Rabim Heishiv Meavon, he's Makarev people. So, in the classic sense, I'm going to contrast now the ideal with what, what was going on. Ideally, let's say I did a sin. It could happen. And I want to bring a chatas. It could happen. Or an osham. And I come to the base of Mish with my animal. Or maybe with that animal. And I'm standing there, duh. And in a perfect situation, a coin, a nice guy comes over to me. He says, yes, what can you do? How can I help you? I said, listen, I got an Aveira over here. And so on and so forth. And the coin said, well, just explain it to me privately. We don't have to tell anybody else. And the coin will, and in the, if the situation is going right, then the coin will say, like this, listen, from a technical perspective, you got to buy a cow <laughs> or a goat. So if you're poor, a bird, whatever the case is, there's all the rules are in the Chumash. So I'll help you, I'll tell you where to buy it. Okay? That's number one. Number two, but before you offer a carbon up, you got to do Teshuvah. The guy said, what's that mean? He said, I'll explain to you. You understand? Uh, where do you live? What do you do for a living? So on. So he gets a whole conversation with him. And he said, why did you do this Avera? And, uh, you know, uh, maybe you have a little bit of a lifestyle change. Maybe you need this. Maybe you need that. You understand? No, it's a real experience. It's a real experience. And he psychs him out, and he makes him do the introspection. And, you know, you have to, uh, like the Ramah said, you got to do uh, confession, you know what I mean? Vidoy. And so it comes a cathartic experience. And by the time the guy's finished, bringing the carbons, the last is the icing on the cake. The coin has already done all the work with him. So the coin is sort of like a Catholic priest in the sense you do the confession. But if you don't give the absolution, you go and get the guy to do the repentance. <laughs> you follow? But we don't believe in absolution, we believe in repentance. And so he says, you know, this is what you need to do. And then, let's say everything's working right. So the coin explains to me what I did wrong, and maybe he's a good at it. I say, oh, now I see the error of my ways, and, you know, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and I'm going to change this, and so on and so forth. And here's my Kabbalah Salasid, and so forth. And uh, now let's bring the actual sacrifice. You get it? And then I walk out of base of Mish, I feel different. Right? I feel supercharged. Uh, that's what the base of Mish is supposed to be. Okay. Now let's contrast it with something else. You walk in and the guy's like, where's your money? You know, get in line, do your carbon, make sure you pay the priest off, make sure you do this, you know. No, this is a routine, you get it? And uh, the Kohanim are looking at this as, you know, a way of making a living. Oh, four, four sin offerings today. There's supper, <laughs> you know. There's lunch tomorrow. Uh, that's the wrong attitude. You get it? Then the religion becomes corrupted, 
and the priesthood becomes, instead of rabim heshiv me'avon, become the people that actually keep the oven going on. This is a classic problem of religion in every time and place, in every religion in the world. As soon as you have a clerical class, a clergy class, it's involved in situation involved possibly power and money, uh, then you run the risk of, of um, corruption. You run the risk of the type of thing that Malachi is talking about. Now, fortunately today, you and I live in a world in which all the clergy, especially Jewish clergy, are all perfect. Uh, right? Right? <laughs> okay, we won't go there. Um, but to the degree that any of these things are relevant, it's Malachi. So I leave you with this uh, task, if you wish to, obviously. Uh, when you look tomorrow at the Haftorah, not tomorrow on Shabbos, when you look at the Haftorah, uh, look at the themes in the small piece that Malachi is talking about. Instead of Edom, there are many other nations that have gone down the tubes. The Jews always say, you know, we out-survived them and all that. So that's a theme from uh, Malachi. Uh, but also, here, here's the challenge, I would say, or here's something to talk about. Where do you see the reformer in the Haftorah today? Because Malachi is one of those people that reforms Judaism. Uh, it will become um, a kind of religion, as you and I obviously know, that can function without a base of Mikdash. It can function without Karbonus. It can function without formal Kohanim. Um, how does this fit in to the Haftorah today? I'm not even going to touch the other things Malachi talks about. That's probably another Haftorah later on when he attacks the intermarriage. But we'll leave that alone for now. Anyways, just a, f- uh, uh, a few ideas of thought. Have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.